0: Welcome into this week's edition of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. In
1: person for the first time in a while.
0: Yeah, and it's National Signing Day. Well, when you're listening to it, it is. We're actually recording before National Signing Day, so if anything happens crazy on Wednesday that we're not expecting, sorry that we're not talking about it as you're now listening to it. Do you wanna just like on pretend?
1: Wednesday? Do you wanna like pretend like you wanna just say like, wow, I can't believe Zach Evans just committed to be a buckeye out of nowhere.
0: That would be that would be something.
1: That would qualify.
0: Yeah, we would um we would probably have to uh do an addendum to this podcast if to. that happened. But the reality with, with this year's National Sign Day and in this year's recruiting class is not a whole lot of drama. We saw Most of his class was wrapped up in December. 24 guys were signed during the early signing period. The the only guys that didn't sign during the early signing period were Clark Phillips, who flipped to Utah, and Cameron Martinez, who, if things have gone as planned, we believe has sent in his national letter of intent and is now officially a Buckeye by the time you're listening to this podcast, which gives Ohio State... a a full class of 25 prospects and because of that if phillips and martinez had signed in december they probably wouldn't have been pursuing anybody for this february signing day they locked up martinez's commitment phillips of course off the market and that was it ohio state really didn't make a late run at anybody for this class because for one they don't have the space right right now they're at 87 scholarships for 2020 so they're currently over the 85 man limit i'm sure they're anticipating that after spring practice there's probably going to be a couple guys who transfer whether they're on pace to graduate and then they'll graduate transfer or they're kind of waiting to see what happens in spring and then if they realize they're down the depth chart they'll transfer so i wouldn't worry about them getting under 85 i think that will happen but i think they also recognize they were in a position where they couldn't really give out any more scholarships right now, coupled with the fact that there probably wasn't really anyone else out there. You mentioned Zach Evans. I think Jameer Gibbs was another guy who we thought maybe they'd make a little bit more of a push for, but our understanding was that they actually told Jameer Gibbs they didn't have space for him. So even though it would seem like they really could have used a, a, a higher touted running back prospect, and we'll get to that a little bit more in a few minutes it sounded like they turned Gibbs away because they weren't sure they were going to have space for him
1: yeah that was the reporting um i think uh yeah i mean i mean jameer
0: gibbs said it on his instagram he did say it on his
1: instagram story yeah it's I think, Jameer, is he a top 100 prospect right now? I he think is, I believe, yeah, he, I believe. He's he like
0: one of those late risers. Who's he,
1: yeah, he's had a fascinating recruitment. I know Ohio State has been after him for a while now in their, in their long running back saga. But I know today that we just sort of want to go position by position, break down all these guys. Because I think we've referred to them um, just one-offs a couple of times in the past. We really haven't had a deep dive on, on, on these guys yet.
0: Well, the thing that's, that's so weird about the new recruiting calendar now is – when most of these guys sign in December, we were focused on the Fiesta Bowl. We were yeah. focused on Ohio State-Clemson. So we didn't really write or talk about these guys a ton back when they signed in December because we were focused on a college football playoff game, especially this year. That's kind of the way it's going to be every year. But especially when Ohio State's in a college football playoff, signing day, it's kind of, for us as media, it's kind of a one-day event. And then we kind of put it on the back burner until the season's over, so.
1: At least when you're covering a good team in a bowl game. Correct. <laughs> it would be very different if we were covering a different team. It's also, like, it, it's a challenge, I think, for us as writers to be like, well, shoot, we got to write about this and them going to the playoff. Also a challenge for coaches, because they are preparing a team for the college football playoff. And in this new world of the early signing period, well, State just gets all their class out of the way um, almost entirely um, in December. Yeah, and it's
0: a challenge. I know. I think we did talk about this in December. I know I at least wrote about it. But it's a challenge because Ryan Day and his staff, and, and the same is true for Davos Sweeney and his staff and Ed Orgeron and his staff and everybody, leading up to that December signing period, they didn't have a choice. They had to spend time recruiting when they could have been game prepping because most guys sign in December now. So you, you have to take that time. You have to go make these visits. You have to go recruit guys while you can in between that conference championship weekend and before you really start ramping up for that bowl game. So it's a challenge for these coaches, whether it's good or bad for college football and for recruiting, I'm really not sure at this point. I, I, I know I I got the impression from Ryan Day in December the, he would probably like to see some changes to this, and I think if you're one of the coaches, if you're at one of the schools who is competing for championships every year, you probably don't love this recruiting calendar.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting too. By the way, um, just a side note off of what you just said, Ryan Day when when he was talking in, in the first year that he was Ohio State's head coach it just seemed every time he was given a chance to take a position on on an issue he passed on it and it was like to me it just felt like he was too inexperienced he was still in his first year he didn't want to make waves as a coach like this is just a real minor side note but i'm interested to see like what what he um what his stances are on certain issues during the offseason because i think now that he has a year under his belt i think he'll be willing to to go out um not even on a limb but like just Say, say his position on certain things that he, that he didn't necessarily do last year. I think
0: we're starting to see that a little bit too. Like we mm-hmm. saw um, w- when he was asked about the targeting in January, he he didn't want to get into you know a whole you know targeting is bad or anything like that. But he did he did mention the the quote unquote walk of shame of a player having to walk off the field after the ejection. He was pretty he pretty strongly said that he. He did not think that was good and he thought that was something that needed to be changed in college football. So I do think we're gonna see him come out of his shell in that regard a little bit more and and advocate a little bit more. And and he's gonna have the opportunity, you know, coming up here at you know, different conventions and NCA meetings and stuff, he's gonna have the opportunity to, to, to voice his opinion on some of those issues over the next few months. And I do, I think I think last year as a first year head coach, he kinda of wanted to soak it all in and, and kinda of hear what everyone else had to say. Now I think he's had that experience where he's going to feel more comfortable, you know, putting his opinion out there.
1: I agree. So you want to you want to run down this class position by position starting with the offense? Yeah, I think we'll kind of talk a little bit about everybody
0: in this class. We we want to give everybody their due. It's a 25-man class and
1: we've talked to a good amount of them. Yeah. And I know Zach has too. We've, we've obviously uh watched some, read about some. We, 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 and some know. of them we
0: might literally be talking to while you're listening to this podcast because some of them are early enrollees and there's 14 early enrollees which includes most of the top prospects in this class. They're actually going to be available to the media for the first time on, on Wednesday. So we'll get to know them a little bit better and maybe next week if there's if there's anything that uh, comes out of those interviews that's interesting we might, we might talk about that a little bit more. But we know you know we... we we like to think we know enough about these guys to, to have an informed conversation about them. It's kind of our job. We'll find
1: out. I mean, shoot. I, I guess. You'll let us know if we yeah. say
0: something stupid, I'm sure. Quarterback. Yeah, well, quarterbacks are always a good place to start. And I think this year's quarterback class, we, we talked to him a little bit last week because we, we, we did some depth chart breakdowns. We were talking a little bit about the quarterbacks. But this is a really interesting year of quarterbacks because... If you look back through the years, it's the first time since 2002 when Ohio State signed Troy Smith and Justin Zwick that Ohio State has brought in two for sure quarterbacks in the same class. And in 2015, they did bring in Joe Burrow and Torrance Gibson, but Gibson, who of course kind of had a wacky career in general, he almost immediately switched to wide receiver once he got to Ohio State. So this is the first time that Ohio State has brought in two quarterbacks that there sure are going to be quarterbacks in almost two decades. And they had to do that this year because their only returning scholarship quarterbacks are Justin Fields and Gunnar Hoke. Ryan Day has said he wants to have four quarterbacks in four scholarship quarterbacks in the rub at all times. And unless Fields makes a shocking decision to return for his senior season, most likely both Fields and Hoke are going to be gone next year. So Iowa State had to bring in two quarterbacks this year who are not just good enough to provide depth, but are good enough to potentially be the next starting quarterback at Ohio State.
1: And that's what they didn't need to do. What they didn't need to do was bring in two elite guys. What they did do is bring in two elite guys, and I think that's what makes this so fascinating is, I think when when, when Ohio State had Jack Miller in his class, I mean, you think back to when they got him um, originally. And you think back to when they all of a sudden lost Matthew Baldwin and lost Tate Martell and it became pretty clear that they are going to need another quarterback in this class. I think the prevailing thought at the time was, you know, maybe they're going to go get a lower end guy to pair with Jack Miller because one, you don't want to make Jack Miller mad and have him decommit. And two, it's just hard to sign two elite quarterbacks, two top line quarterbacks, two four star or five star quarterbacks. And what Ohio State did, I think is pretty incredible, even though, Jack Miller has slipped in the rankings to outside the top 300, a lot of that's due to injury. Um, I, I'm, I'm sort of impressed just in the fact that they managed to even get to this point. And I think there's two reasons why that happened.
0: One, Jack Miller, he's been, he was Ohio State's first quarterback target in his class. From the time he was a freshman in high school. People were talking about Jack Miller being a future Ohio State quarterback. He and Urban has had a longstanding relationship with his father that goes back too. And even Day, when he first got to Ohio State, he went out. He he watched Jack Fro. He 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 was the one who actually evaluated him in, in person and, and made an offer in, in person to Jack. So there are longstanding relationships here. Jack has wanted to be a Buckeye for several years, and I I know. You know, there, there started to be some speculation after C.J. Stroud started to look like he might join the class Where oh, is Jack going to decommit? And you know, J- Jack's been pretty adamant. You know, I, I talked to Jack out in Arizona. We were at a Fiesta Bowl, and you know, he was pretty adamant. But he, you know, he he never he was never going to decommit. He always wanted to be a Buckeye. He he was loyal to his commitment to Ohio State, and, and Ohio State's been loyal to him. They've. You know they they've wanted him in this class even when even when his ranking slipped they, they still wanted him in this class and, and they needed him in this class because they they needed two quarterbacks and so you know they, they had that solid commitment from jack miller that, that was unwavering never changed from the time he committed two summers ago and then i think it's possible that they would have had to go with a lower ranked guy because by the time they really started pursuing a second quarterback is a time where most guys are committed and what happened was CJ Stroud really rose over the past year so he was a guy who at this time a year ago was relatively unknown
1: He's a high-end three-star at the
0: time to now he's the f- number 41 overall prospect in the class of 2020
1: and ranked so, way ahead of Jack Miller yeah
0: he, yes and he he won the elite 11 he he had a fantastic senior season, and th- this is where you've got to give a lot of credit to Ryan Day, is basically every program who needed a quarterback late in the cycle wanted C.J. Stroud, and Ohio State, even with another quarterback already committed who's g- also going to get a chance to compete for the starting job, they went out and they were able to get C.J. Stroud because... CJ Stroud felt that Ohio State, seeing what Ryan Day has done with Dwayne Haskins, with Justin Fields over the past two years, that Ohio State would be the best place for him. And, you know, I think both these guys are ready to compete. Now, of course, the cloud that's going to linger over these guys is, is certainly going to be in 2021, when most likely one of these two is going to be the starting quarterback is the ever guy at that time going to look to transfer and and you know we, we just have to see i'm, I'm never going to speculate about whether somebody's going to transfer but we do know that that's the nature of college football these days that most of the time when a quarterback doesn't win the starting job a lot of a lot of times it's eventually they're going to look to transfer i think if you're in ohio state shoes here you're going to hope that at least you know whoever when who you know when you have that starting quarterback competition in 2021 that at least whoever doesn't win it they're at least going to stick around for you know three or four years get their degree and then maybe they graduate transfer later if that starting job never opens up for them but you are bringing in two quarterbacks that's that's a really tough thing to do in in today's recruiting class they needed to do it. And like you said, if it hadn't been C.J. Stroud, it probably would have been a lower-ranked guy who would have been more of a depth guy. But to be in a position where you have two guys coming in who are both talented enough to legitimately beat out the other and be Ohio State's next starting quarterback is definitely the position that you want to be in if you're Ryan Day in Ohio State.
1: We, we don't often speculate about transfer, but like you said, it's hard not to talk about um, these two without um, talking about the f- when you do discuss the future, talking about transfers and, and what, what potentially might happen. But before we do that, I think it's just worth noting that, and I wrote about this a little bit ago, I just think this 2020 quarterback room, like it's, it's, it's about as good as you can get at a school like Ohio State in this day and age of college football where you just have so many transfers. I think it's just hard to to get to the point where it's like, well, we take a quarterback every year and we have a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and you know, our senior's gonna graduate and the junior's gonna put like you just can't do that these days. So so what I think that they have right now, I think they have a returning starter in Justin Fields who's a Heisman Trophy contender. They have a redshirt senior who's now been in the program for a year who either could be the backup or be depth at the position. I don't know, but he's been around. He's a smart guy. He's good to have in the room, and he's not someone who's in there being like, all right, I must have this starting quarterback job or I'm going to He knows he's going to back up um, Justin Fields next year. And then the other aspect of it is you have two guys now who are future starters who, whether it be at Ohio State or somewhere else, will start at the college level and are expected to be high-level starters at the college level. And you add those three components together, I just think it's hard to find a better quarterback room in totality. Now, caveat to that is next year, if Justin Fields leaves early to the NFL, as we all expect, if Gunner, when Gunnar Hook graduates and when one of the two younger guys wins the starting quarterback job, does the other guy transfer and all of a sudden your quarterback room is – Uh, I don't know, either C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller plus Kyle McCord. Like, sure, that's a possibility. That's a world you have to live in. But, man, if you're Ohio State, you just have to live in it now. And right now what you have is you have a guaranteed Heisman Trophy contender in 2020 and a winner – of a, of a quarterback battle that's going to take place over the course of the next year, year and three or four months, year and a half, however long it's going to, it's going to take place over. And the winner of that battle is going to be between two guys who are going to be high-level D1 quarterbacks, um, and that's going to be that starting quarterback. And like that is all you can ask for in this day and age out of a quarterback room in my mind.
0: Yeah, the reality is you can't bring in guys trying to predict is this the type of guy who will transfer if he doesn't win the starting job or not? Because and, and also,
1: to add on to that, just a second layer of that, you also can't bring in a guy who, or at least in my opinion, this has changed in my mind, you can't bring in a guy who's like, all right, this guy's going to be a backup. Because then you run into the situation where it's like, well, if the guy I brought in to be the starter isn't as good, all of a sudden you have two guys who might be backups. And they're in the position right now where they have two guys who think they're going to be starters. Well, shoot, one of them's got to be pretty good, right?
0: Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you ever want to bring in, especially at a position like quarterback. I don't think you ever want to bring in a guy, thinking this guy is going to be a career backup. Unless it's a position like a Chuganov or a Gunner Hoke, where you just have to bring in a veteran for death for off a transfer market. Those those positions they brought in guys knowing they're going to be backups. When you when you're recruiting guys out of high school, you don't want to recruit a guy and, and put a cap on him and think. Because, first of all,
1: you don't want them thinking. Hey, exactly. I, I mean, backup. that's the thing. I mean, most
0: you're going to be hard pressed to find guys who are kind of say, man, I'm, I'm just content being a backup. And, and you know, I think walk ons understand that. If, if you walk on, you're probably not going to be a, a future starter. But if you are a scholarship quarterback, if you're somebody that's getting offers from all over the country, if, if you're choosing Ohio State over other schools, you have to have belief in yourself that you are good enough that you are able to be a future starter for Ohio State. So those are the kind of guys you want. And like you said, you, you have to live in the now. You, with these two guys, you have to live in the next two years of developing them as much as possible and hoping that both of them are ready to be starters next year because you might need both of them to play. I mean, you might need you might need at least one of them to play this year because if something happens to Justin Fields, one of these guys might be the next man up. So right now, all the focus is just on developing these guys as, as best as possible and you're trying to get them both ready to play. And I do think they're a significant... Upgrade in talent in the room from what you had backing up Justin Fields last year, and you know that's no disrespect to to Gunnar Hoke and, and Chris Chuganov, but those guys were brought in as guys who were backups at other schools, who who were not brought in with any expectation from Ryan Day that they were going to beat out Justin Fields or, or Dwayne Askins for a starting job, so. These are guys that you're bringing in with the expectation that they could be future starters. So they are more talented guys. They do have higher upsides. And I, I, we talked to a little bit last week that, you know, I think when spring opens up, Gunnar Hogue's going to be your number two quarterback. But I I think ideally you'd like one of these guys to be in a position where they're your number two quarterback in the fall because... You want to get them reps this year to prepare them for next year, and I, I, I think you'd like one of these guys to be ready to play where if something happens to Justin Fields, one of them is going to be able to step in.
1: Um, was there any – before we move on, and I know we don't want to spend 24 minutes on every <laughs> position, but before we move on, is there anything quickly that really stands out about one of the two that maybe you've, you, you you you've heard them talk about or you've talked to them about or maybe – that you've seen when when you watch them play well, i just think cj stroud has
0: some comparable tools to justin fields and he's got a long way to go to get to be justin fields but just watching the the way he plays the game you know the way he throws the ball his ability to to throw on the run his athleticism his arm strength i think he's got the physical ability where he comes in, he's developed by Ryan Day. I think I see it in him. I, I really think he has that potential to be an excellent quarterback and to, and to run the offense in a similar way to Justin Fields. And that's not to say that I don't think Jack Miller can can be a great quarterback too because I, I think he has that ability too, but I just think if you – look in terms of the type of offense they've run with fields and how successful that's been i think stroud is a little more comparable in terms of his ability to make plays on the move and and i think that makes his potential really intriguing
1: the one thing i'd say too is it it, when you just look at jack miller that dude's pretty built for a guy who's just a freshman coming in yes the thing that i think stands out about justin fields that doesn't get enough um Uh, comment about is that dude is a freaking running back in the lower half of his body if you look at his legs they are gigantic and I don't know that CJ Stroud has that right now I think he's he he isn't the same type of runner that Justin is and he doesn't have that kind of lower body strength which um, I think is 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 maybe the one difference that that I would say
0: and the reality is it's it's going to be hard to find quote unquote the next Justin Fields because Justin Fields was the number two overall prospect in his class and is an elite elite talent to to find a guy with that entire overall skill set is going to be extremely difficult but i think stroud has the framework of that and and regardless of who the quarterback is going to be one thing ryan day has shown us in his three years at ohio state is he will adapt the offense to who his quarterback is so no matter who the next quarterback is, the offense is going to adapt around them. It, no one's going to be exactly like Justin Fields or exactly like Dwayne Haskins. And CJ Stroud has actually said that they've talked to him about being more like Dwayne Haskins. So, from just from what I've seen, seeing you know highlights is not necessarily what Ohio State sees in CJ Stroud, and they might see him as a different player of an Justin Fields so no matter who it is it's going to be different ultimately it's it, I I think one thing we've seen in just the way they're recruiting quarterbacks is I don't I don't think Ryan Day is looking for one particular type of quarterback I think he's just looking for who he thinks can command an offense the best and I think he and the entire offensive staff is going to be adaptable to changing their offense they're not I think even with Urban Meyer, we saw that there was a, there was a strong desire on Urban Meyer's part to have a, a, quarter, a, a running quarterback. I think it helps when you have one, as we've seen with Justin Fields, but I don't think Ryan Day is married to that, where I think if he, if, if he has a guy who's an elite passer, he, he, he's more willing to shift back to a more of a Haskins-style offense if, if that's who the next guy ends up being.
1: Moving on to wide receiver, I think wide receiver is one of those positions where it's like we might just spend like three minutes on it because what are we just going to do, say they're all awesome?
0: They're all awesome. There we go. They're all awesome. They're all ranked in the top 100 nationally. Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, G. Scott Jr., Mookie Cooper. I think all of those guys have the potential to be stars at Ohio State, and I I really don't think that's hyperbole.
1: No, I don't either. It's – It's really an unbelievable wide receivers class and when you think about what might be coming in in the 21 class too it's like this is they're they're just gonna have i don't don't understand how they're gonna get the balls to all these people and at the same time they're all coming in with the understanding that like you know i'm probably not going to be a 105 catch wide receiver at ohio state but you know if you just run through each of these guys individually there are just a lot of things to love about them all i mean they have, a, they have a guy who's the number three recruit in the country at wide receiver, and, and, and it wasn't too long ago where people were wondering at Ohio State, like, when would they bring in, like, this five-star guy? receiver? Well, they got they got multiple of those guys now, including Julian Fleming. Yeah, and we, we talked about
0: it with the quarterbacks, of everybody wanting to, to come in expecting to be a starter and expecting to be playing time. They are going to run into this at the wide receiver position because – like they're they're loaded they're they're loaded with talent coming in you've got from last year's class you have Garrett Wilson and Jameson Williams who I think are both going to be standouts this upcoming season I think a couple of these guys are probably going to play next year and I think they're all going to they're all going to push for playing time and then you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. Jaden Ballard coming in in 2021 and they're they're still looking for a couple more. I know uh, every recruiting analyst's favorite wide receiver, Troy Stilato, is another one that they're pushing for. And Ameka uh, Egbuka, a five-star. I was
1: wondering if you try to say his name. I'm proud Yeah, I know.
0: I, I got it. Ameka go. Egbuka from uh, Washington State, just like G. Scott Jr. He's a really highly touted guy that if they get him would be a huge get. So, I mean, first of all, Brian Hartline's been killing it on the recruiting trail. He's done a phenomenal job with – going out identifying his top targets and landing those guys so you know they got a phenomenal haul coming in no matter who the quarterback is one thing we know is they're going to have plenty of options to throw to and you know i've talked to better I, I think smith the is the guy who i think might have the biggest impact as a freshman certainly julian fleming number three overall recruitment country uh he's got the potential to be an absolute superstar
1: so so i think um if we just want to run by him uh, one by one just real quick like what we've heard what we think about them so julian fleming i think right now he's around six 200 pounds he's he just seems like an all-around wide receiver he doesn't see he's not a guy who's just a total burner he's not a guy who's slower but has amazing ball skills he seems to be more of a total package
0: yeah i mean i think he's got all the all the tools which is how he
1: become the number three recruit in the i country. think the, the
0: the the biggest question mark for him coming in is that he played in a wing t offense mm-hmm. in high school so i think route running is going to be a big area of development for him i think he's he seems like a very smart young man so i think he's going to pick it up and i think In a year or two, he's going to be phenomenal. But I think a matter of how quickly. Yeah, I I I wouldn't be surprised if it if he if maybe his freshman year it it takes him a little bit to come on just because he's got to learn that aspect of the game. On the other end of that, he's already a fantastic blocker if you watch his film, and that's a huge thing at Ohio State for a. A freshman, a young receiver coming in. If you want to play at Ohio State, one of the big things they really harp on is your ability to go up there and block in a run game. And I think that's one area where he's going to come in more advanced than the typical freshman. So
1: also, also a note specifically on that is when he committed. I remember he wasn't he wasn't the 200 pound wide receiver. He wasn't physically built. And then in, in the past year or so, I know that um, he's just become a bigger, more put together wide receiver. And I think that that aspect certainly helps him there.
0: Jackson Smith and Jigba, if you look at his stats, he from, uh, caught
1: four billion passes for seven billion yards.
0: Yeah, it's not even really that that a hyperbolic. He no. had an absurd senior season at Rockwall High School in Texas, and and he's a guy. He just seems like a really well rounded receiver, uh, really smooth, skilled route runner, great hands, good athlete. You know, he's, he's not as he's not as big as julian fleming or, or g scott and, and and i've said it i i i have a feeling i i, I think he might be the heir apparent to kj hill on the slot i think that might be the spot the spot that ends up being the right fit for him and and mookie cooper's the guy that everybody's talking about on the slot and i think that's where he's going to play and i i think mookie cooper has a ton of upside too i think as that that you know, quote-unquote H-back type. I think he's a guy that has uh, some really dynamic ability, you know, inter- you know, explosive athlete, make guys miss, uh, really, you know, kind of well-built guy too who's going to be able to run through contact. I-, I think he's got, you know, a really intriguing skill set at that position. But I think in terms of, you know, being ready to, to, to play as a freshman and being a true slot receiver, I think Jackson smith jigba is a guy who, who really might be able to come in and really push for that role.
1: I think one of the reasons you say that, too, is because it just seems like he has really good um, instincts and, and when it comes to catching. like he just When when you compare him to KJ Hill, I think that's one of the things that right. stands out about him. It just seems like when the ball's thrown to him, he comes down with it. And sure, you're a wide receiver. That's supposed to be what you do. But some people do it better than others, and I think that he's really skilled in that area. Um, G. Scott, uh, he's a guy who's I think the biggest wide receiver of all of them, and Mick Marathi said he's Austin Mackish when in his press conference a couple weeks ago. Um, is the size that what stands out about about him the most?
0: Yeah, I think so. He's he's a big, strong guy. You know, we, we've seen the clips on Twitter of him. You know, benching twenty times or whatever. I mean, he's a really uh, he's a really physically developed kid for somebody who's coming in straight out of high school. I don't think he has that elite speed. No, but I think he has really good ball skills. If you watch his highlights, he, he makes a lot of contested catches, and you know has great hands. So I, I think he's an X receiver type. I, I think Austin Mac might be a good comparison for him because I, I don't think he's not one of those guys who's gonna you know take the top off the defense and is gonna be a real burner out there. But I think he's a guy who he, he's gonna make those those tough catches. He, he he's gonna be a good sideline fret. I think he's another guy who's going to be a really good blocker. So I think there's a lot to like there. And I think you know when you when you bring in 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 a span of two classes, Garrett Wilson, Julian Fleming, G. Scott, those are just three really, really, really skilled big outside receivers that have a ton of
1: upside. Yeah, they're super physical, and he's not like a Jalen Harris, Benjamin Victor, where he's not like six five, like he's a six two type of guy. But he's also just built. And I think that that really matters in this um, in this offense. The other guy who was also built is Mookie Cooper, who may be five eight, five nine, whatever they're gonna, whatever Ohio State's going to list him at. But that dude that dude is pretty built. And, and Brian Hartline has mentioned that. Mickey Moradi has mentioned that. Yeah, his
0: highlights are fun to watch if you haven't seen him because he played some running back in high school, so some wide receiver. I'm I'm really interested to see how they use him because we've seen the last couple you know, quote unquote H back guys that have come in like Demario McCall and and Jalen Gill struggle to find a role in this offense. So I'm interested to see how exactly they they utilize him. They, they've leaned more toward a slot receiver at that position in, in recent years. So and, he's,
1: and he's different than them in that I think both of those guys were running backs throughout high school, throughout their whole lives, and they were sort of transitioning to wide receiver. And they're also built differently. I don't think that they were as thick. They weren't yep. as um, – they just weren't uh, – I mean, as simple as that. They weren't as thick as uh, Mookie is. And, and he's just – he's built in a way that I think when people think about the slot receiver and that they're short and fast, he's that, but he's – He's also he also has some oomph to him.
0: And and again, I I, I, I keep saying it. And it's not what anybody thinks of, but this is real. Ohio State cares a lot about how well its receivers can block, and I think that's one of a season. That's one of the reasons why Demario and Jalen Gill haven't gotten on the field as much as people might think. And I think Mookie, with his strength, his his build i think he's a guy who's going to be more capable of coming in and contributing in that area early and i think that's going to give him a better chance to get on the field early anything else you want to mention receivers you want to talk running back i think we we can move on to running backs which we just talked about what i think is clearly the strength of the 2020 class running backs no offense to mayan williams is probably a weakness of his class and the reality is with jk dobbins leaving Uh, this was a year where it really seemed like Ohio State would go out and get a top-flight running back prospect. They had a silent commitment from the guy who finished as the number one running back in the class, that being Bijan Robinson. He ended up flipping to Texas, and the reality is they, they whiffed on their top targets at running back in this class, and they settled for A guy in mayan williams who initially was committed to ohio state and they offered late in the process and they were able to convince him to flip to ohio state and certainly he's going to have a chance to play at ohio state because he's their only running back in this class and there's only a few other there's only a few other scholarship running backs in the room none of them were five-star recruits either so mayan's going to have a chance to play he's a he's a big powerful back who i think you know can be a real tough between the tackles runner and I, I think you know if in terms of being a guy who's in a rotation i think very definitely some some very good attributes about him and i think he can contribute down the line but uh, no one's going to expect him to be jk dobbins or ezekiel elliott or even even carlos Hyde. i, I don't i don't i think mayan's ceiling is limited by the fact that he's he doesn't have elite speed. He's not a make you miss kind of guy. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what he's able to offer in a receiving game. He was very productive down in, in Southwest Ohio, but he's ranked outside of the top six hundred running six hundred overall prospects, top six hundred running backs. So that would be a real problem. But top six hundred overall prospects in this class. So I certainly don't want to dump on a kid because. And if he he was one of two running backs in his class, it would be totally fine. But I think the fact that they've now gone multiple years in a row with missing out on their top targets and still bringing in guys who can be quality players, but you look at the elite production Ohio State has had at running back in recent years, we just don't know if there's anyone in this roster that's really capable of that. And bringing in a only a free star this year was not exactly what the doctor ordered
1: well let's have two conversations then let's talk about um one what Maya and williams can be and and two little bit about what happened in this class, and 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 twenty, and what'll maybe happen in the twenty twenty one class. So I went and talked to Mayan Williams. Um, thought it was an interest, wrote what I thought was an interesting story about him and his background, and how he sort of takes his anger out on football because he's got a little bit of a rougher background. Um, his mom was telling me how he was a he was a sort of a hard kid to deal with when he was younger, just because. He was angry and he would fight and he was he he didn't he wasn't great in that regard and, and when he put him into football, all of a sudden, like him being angry just turned into him running over people. And to be honest, like that's just who he is still. Like he's that kind of guy and if he's gonna be successful at Ohio State, he's gonna be that kind of guy. He's not very fast. I think he's a four 40 running back, which is which is not exactly uh, a speed demon, and at the same time, he's a physical guy, and you know Ohio State has had success with with that in the past. Like a, uh, I don't know, even even just Mike Weber a couple years ago, I think uh, had had some similar qualities. Though he, I think he was faster than than but like you you can win with a guy like that. At The same time, he he lacks certain key things, and I think that that's why, namely speed, which is why he was ended up being lower ranked and. Was headed to Iowa State before Ohio State came calling. I mean, you
0: look at a guy like a Bijan Robinson, who they could end up with. That's the kind of guy you look at who could be one of the best running backs in college football. It, it would be a stretch to think that Mayan Williams is going to become that kind of player, and, and mm-hmm. you don't rule it out. But I, I think you know, in some ways, it's just surprising that J.K. Dobbins just ran for two thousand yards. And he's about to be ohio state's second first round pick at running back in a five-year span and they haven't been able to land these really big targets at running back so you know when you look ahead to 2021 i don't think there's any question that there's a little bit of pressure on on tony alford that he really needs He really needs to go get a big fish in the 2021 class. Whether that's Donovan Edwards or Evan Pryor or Will Shipley or Corey Kiner, whoever that might be, he really needs to go land a top running back in the 2021 class just to bolster the talent in that room. And for 2020, you've just got to hope that whether it's Master Teague, Marcus Crowley, Deal Chambers, Maya Williams isn't coming in until summer, so I, I think it's going to be harder for him to earn his way onto the field as a true freshman. But the you know more veteran guys, you know those guys are going to have to outperform their recruiting ranking this year, and you know you're going to have to find some combination of them that can really lead your running game.
1: It's a tough position they find themselves in and and it just has to, like, I'm not sure how you could put it any other way than than 2020 was a failure. And, And I understand, like, whatever silent commitments they had or didn't have, well, they didn't end up with them. And if it's a commitment that all of a sudden falls apart and someone decommits and you end up with someone lower ranked, like, that's a failure. That's just what it is. And I think they can make up for that in some regard, and and, and Tony Alford can in, in 2021 because it's a strong running back class, and just feel like Ohio State's in on a lot of guys who are who are top 100, top 150 guys. But in the room right now, as it's currently constituted, um, partially because of Brian Sneed um, no longer being on the team due to an accused rape when he was at Ohio State, um, they're just in a spot right now where they've got a lot of low end four stars and three stars on the roster, and. There's, there's part of you that's like, all right, he can make it up in the 2021 class. The other part, though, too, is like they needed a guy this year. They needed, a, they needed a dude. And what they ended up with was Mayan Williams, who I think can be solid. I also don't think Mayan Williams is going to come in and light the world on fire this year as a freshman. He's not enrolling until the summer. I think there's no reason to think that he's going to come in and all of a sudden go crazy. Um, who knows? Bijan Robinson could have been that guy. I don't know. Kendall Milton could have been that guy. They didn't end up with them. What they ended up with was Mayan Williams and and – It's not a place that they necessarily want to be in right now. I think that they want to have an elite running back, or at least a guy you think can be an elite running back um, on the roster. And that's not to say that Steel Chambers, Marcus Crowley, and um, Master Teague can't be that. But it's a lot easier to see the path for Bijan Robinson to being Ezekiel Elliott than it is to seeing some of those guys turn it up like that. Who knows? They could make me look like an idiot in a year, two years. But that's just the way I see it right now. And, and Mayan definitely, uh, he's definitely a guy that I think people
0: like us doubting him is going to come in with a little bit of a chip yeah. on his shoulder.
1: Yeah, he's. when I talk to him, Mayan's, Mayan's, Mayan's a fun guy to talk to because Mayan is a man of few words. Mayan does not love to, he doesn't love to talk about the process. He doesn't love to talk about certain things. But he's he's got a personality to him, and he's come from a background that I think is just – He's an interesting guy, and I really hope it works out for him because, you know, this dude has put a lot into football. He rushed for a million and a half yards. He was basically – he put up Jetson, Smith, and Jigba type stats at running back in Cincinnati throughout his career at Wenton Woods. Um, I hope it works out for him. But but from an Ohio State side – I just wonder, like, do you have the elite top-line running back right now? And, like, you have to hold yourself. I'll say this a million times because I think it's really important. Is I think you have to hold yourself to the college football playoff standard. And, like, do you have a guy who's going to get you to the college football playoff and win you games like J.K. Dobbins did last year? You don't have to have that. Certainly helps. And I'm not 100% sure that they have that on the roster right now, and to me that's a problem. Moving on
0: to a guy who we think Ohio State absolutely did hit a home run oh my with. Oh, God. And that's Paris Johnson Jr. Yes. Who... <laughs> we probably should say moving on to offensive line, but let's be honest,
1: we're both thinking Paris Johnson the moment
0: you say that. Well, yeah, but there's six There's six offensive linemen in this class and we'll talk a little bit about all of them, but there's no doubt, you know, other than some of those receivers, the headliner in this class is Paris Johnson Jr. Coming from Cincinnati, number nine overall prospect, number one offensive tackle in the class. And really, this is a guy who has everything you are looking for in that position. Size, athleticism, power—he's got all the tools. He he already looks like a college-ready offensive lineman, and I think that's what distinguishes him, even from a Nick Petit Frere, who was also a top ten overall recruit when they signed him two years ago. But Petit Frere was a guy that they knew coming in was going to need time to physically develop. Collins written about his eight thousand calorie diet that he was on last off season. He's a guy who had to bulk up, who had to gain weight before he was ready to play. Paris Johnson Jr. is a guy where, hypothetically, if he comes in and does really well this spring, he could push for playing time as a true freshman. I'm not going to predict that he's going to start as a true freshman because that's really hard to do as an offensive lineman. But this is a guy who has a tremendously high ceiling And I I would be surprised if by his second year at Ohio State, if he's not a starting lineup.
1: And I'd be surprised after his third or fourth year if he's not a first-round pick. Like, he's that kind of guy. Like, he's one of those guys who's a sure-freaking thing. And, listen, I know there are some people who are, like, who talk about the stars not mattering and whatnot. But guess what? Paris Johnson is an example that the stars matter a great deal because if you get a guy like Paris Johnson – Dude's a lock to be a, to be a stud at Ohio State. I can like I, I'm not even worried about this being played in two or three years. I'm that confident in him. Like he's the kind of guy who you bring him in, and it's like, all right, here's Ohio State starter for two or three years at, at offensive tackle, and he's going to be really good, all Big Ten, all American type level. In the same way that when you brought in Wyatt Davis, Wyatt Davis is the number one guard. He was that he was that kind of guy. Um, that's that's honestly just what I expect in and Paris Johnson, and maybe that's outside that but honestly I don't think it is I think he's a top 10 recruit for a reason um going back to what you said is there a possibility that he starts at right tackle this year I think there is uh what I predict it? no but what he predicted he might because when I went and talked to him in December I just remember talking to him and like he has this goal of being a freshman all-american and not only does he have a goal in a way that I'm going to write about it Tuesday so I guess this will already be out um he just has plans and, and he achieves and he achieves goals. Like he wants to um, I, I don't remember the exact path, but it's essentially that he wants to be uh, getting reps with the ones in the spring and then work his way. And then by fall he wants to be the starting right tackle and and he just has these goals in mind and when he talks to them, it's like you start to believe him. He's a super smart, super physically built guy and I mean, right tackles don't often uh, aren't often freshmen, especially at Ohio State, where, where guys have been in the program for three, four years and are super physically built. But he's different. Yeah, I mean, you look at it.
0: Since Orlando Pace, the the only other true freshman who started on the offensive line at Ohio State was Michael Jordan. So and that was
1: because people didn't develop.
0: And granted, if. if if you, if you if there's been anyone who you're gonna say could be the next Orlando Pace at Ohio State, that's not a comparison that I really think you should ever make. But if there's anyone who you're gonna say that with, it would be Paris Johnson Jr. because that's the kind of talent.
1: That's a terrifying thing to say out loud, and yet it's not. It, it, it's I I wouldn't say you're. It's crazy. a
0: crazy thing to say because Orlando Pace is one of the best offensive linemen in college football history.
1: Yeah, maybe the better way to put it is he might be the best offensive lineman Ohio State has signed or offensive tackle Ohio State has signed since then. Like, I I think that that might be the case, not having gone back and looked at the 2000 class. (laughs) And I think Ohio State's in a great position
0: where you get Thayer Munford back for his senior year at left tackle. You've got Petit Frere, who hypothetically should be ready to go at that right tackle spot this year. You have Dewan Jones, who really surprised surprised people of how well he came along as a freshman and now i think he's a guy who has a legitimate shot at competing for that right tackle job as well and then i think paris is a guy my guess is he will be the second team left tackle this year and he will be groomed to take over for Fayer munford in 2021
1: uh, the other guys, so I think the other guy who stands out is Luke Whippler, who is a number 107 prospect in the country, unlike Paris, who's a tackle. He's an interior guy, and all those interior guys, you think that, you know, maybe they could end up at guard, maybe they could end up at center, but they've got a strong group of talent in there right now. Well, you just
0: look at the run that they've been on. Yeah. In, in 2017, they landed Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, who, of course were both fantastic last year and are probably going to be two of the best interior offensive linemen. And they already were, and they're definitely going to be barring a major setback this year. Then in in 2018, they landed Matthew Jones, who was one of the top interior linemen in his class, and he hasn't even seen a field yet. You've got Harry Miller from a 2019 class who they love and who I think is the front runner for about – left guard spot even though he was recruited primarily as a center and was a backup center last year i think he's a guy that, that they're going to want to get on the field sooner than later and so i think he's the front runner for that left guard spot and then you, you bring in another guy this year in luke Whippler who is going to push for playing time sooner than later so i think the question now is how do you fit all of these guys in and who's ultimately going to play because you know, even a, a, an, Enoch Vamahi is another guy who I think really impressed them last year as a freshman. You know, I think he's going to be pushing for a starting spot at guard in a couple of years as well. So they've got a lot of talent in there. Whippler's certainly one of those guys, whether it's at center or guard, I think is going to have a chance to play fairly early. And I think certainly looking ahead to 2021, certainly. Both Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are going to have decisions to make, and it wouldn't be a surprise if after next year either of them went to the NFL. And so you you definitely might need a couple new starters there next year, and I think Whipler's a guy who, assuming he progresses as expected this year, is going to be one of those guys who's in that mix.
1: So the other four guys there are interesting. I think you can group them together. I think you did, which is Grant Tutant, um, from Michigan, Josh Fryer from Indiana, Jacob James, and Trey LaRue, both from Ohio. All three star guys, none of whom we think will really factor in next year. And and, and I'm not sure exactly when we think they're going to factor in. I think that they're just more so down the line type guys.
0: Yes, I think all of them are developmental players. They're all three star guys. LaRue and James are both from Ohio. Taunton Fryer from uh, Michigan and Indiana, respectively. So you know, these are the kind of guys that, that they're bringing in knowing they're going to need to develop them. And, and they're bringing them in primarily for depth to start. And then ultimately for each of these guys, it, it's a matter of over the next couple of years, how well do they develop? Do they turn into players who could be future starters? None of, none of them are guys who would compete for starting jobs right now. They're all guys who, who, who are going to come in and they're going to need to improve as players to get to that level. And certainly any of them could. I mean, you look at a guy like Pat Elflein, who came in into Ohio State as the lowest-ranked prospect in his class and ended up being a Remington Trophy winner at the end of his career. So any one of these guys could develop into that. But there's also the reality that out of these four guys, there's probably going to be a couple guys who never really play at Ohio State. And... Uh, if we talked about it earlier for quarterbacks, if there's one position where you really are bringing in guys, knowing that some of them might be career backups, it's offensive line because you need to have a lot of depth in that room. There's only so many guys that comply. And I do, think, I do think some of the appeal here with these guys is that they are local guys. There are guys who I think they think will, Stick it out and get their degrees, even if they don't see the field early, and that they think each of them has enough to work with. Where, at the least, you know, by year three, year four, they can be serviceable backups. And potentially, if they develop as well as possible, they could eventually end up being. Starters or at least competing for starting jobs on the back end of their careers.
1: Yeah and If you think back to maybe a year or so ago There was a lot of talk about the depth of the offensive line not being there Like I think this is a class that that puts depth back into the offensive line in a way that maybe it wasn't there um, a year or so ago um, There's part of me that says um, you know I, I, I'm not sure about taking four guys who I think are <clears throat> all developmental guys. There's also the part that's like, all right, it's beneficial to have guys who are going to stay around the program for a while. And, you know, we all know Pat Alpha lines recruiting ranking, guys who are from the region who maybe weren't big-time recruits. And, and offensive line is is, is typically – people often say it. I never really know if this is – data backs this up, but people often say that this is a very hard um, position to recruit. And, and and the recruiting rankings. is – are not necessarily as important as they are um, in in other positions. I don't know if I totally buy that, but I do think that there's some parts of of each of these guys that that are intriguing. Uh, Do you just want to go sort of one by one about maybe one thing that, I don't know, stands out about them individually or in the process that that maybe you remember and think people should know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll start with Trey LaRue, because I actually just wrote a story about him and, and talked to him you know, a couple months ago and I I think he's maybe the one guy of anybody in this class that people kinda point out and say, why is he in this class? Because he's ranked outside the top one thousand and you know, maybe if he just doesn't if you if you watch, you know, his film, he, he doesn't necessarily jump off the tape the way that some of these other guys do, but he's also six foot eight and three hundred and thirty pounds. And there's not a lot of human beings in general who have that kind of size so i think his size is intriguing you know you hope that he can maybe have a dewan jones kind of trajectory where he can come in and he can really use that that size to his advantage i don't know if he's quite as much of a physical freak as dewan jones but I, I i do think he's probably a better athlete than he's getting credit for and you know i and i think you look at a guy like him you look at a guy like jacob james who are both from ohio These are the kind of guys who have dreamed of being Buckeyes from the time they were kids, and they're the type of guys who are probably going to see things through at Ohio State, you know, at at least for three or four years, because they want to be at Ohio State and...
1: They grew up dreaming about being Buckeyes. They did. They absolutely did. Um... Going to Josh Fryer, I'll mention him next. I think the thing that stands out, and I remember um, writing about this back when he signed, is he's, he's more of a versatile guy. Um, I'm not 100% sure exactly what position he's going to end up. He could really play any of the positions. Um, his dad's also a coach. I think he comes from strong bloodlines, which, like, that's a thing that college coaches like, and I'm sure Greg Sadrawa likes, um, which, which should make him pick up on things um, fairly fairly quickly he's a he's a big guy mauling type guy i think i think that's really the part that stands out about him yep and grant to wrapping up that
0: class uh another guy you know six foot seven 320 so another guy you talk about big body, bringing title. in a lot of a lot of size and and developmental potential you know a guy who's a basketball player in, in high school it you know, a guy who you're just hoping you, you take those physical those physical tools, and and you can develop them over the next few years, and you see what kind of player he becomes.
1: Yeah, and he had a torn labrum during his senior year of high school, so he's still um, getting his way back from that. Also, interestingly, picked Ohio State because of its automotive engineering program, which uh, I believe Penn State didn't have. Yeah,
0: and that's a. Um Second year in a row, they've brought in an offensive lineman uh, engineering major because uh, Harry Miller as well. Of course. Oh, God. You want to talk about uh,
1: academics? Let's yes. talk about Harry Miller. Harry all Miller,
0: yeah, absolutely. Harry Miller, uh, a star in many in many ways.
1: All right, let's head to the defensive side of the ball. Unless you want to do – do you want to hit on Joe Royer real quick?
0: Yeah, Joe Royer, only tight end in, in this class, ranked – 400 third overall you probably a guy who's probably going to redshirt his first year luke farrell and jake hausman both you know going into their senior years and, and Jeremy ruckert of course being a guy who i think is in line for a big role this upcoming year you know i think royer is going to be more of a developmental guy but you know kind of a ruckert type guy i think who you know is probably more of a receiver than a blocker at this point you know, pretty pretty good athlete, a guy that you know they can move around and, and flex out a little bit. And,
1: and he needs to put on some weight? Yeah, too. he's
0: gonna need to get a little bigger. He's gonna need to become a better blocker. That's why he'll probably red shirt. It's why he probably won't see the field a ton early on. But if he's the type of guy that you hope you can develop, and you know, later stages of his career can can become a weapon for you, if that. Yeah,
1: and you know what's funny? Like, it's pretty simple talking about the tight ends because Ohio State really, you know. They've got an idea of what they want their tight ends to do. It's not exactly too crazy. It's what Jeremy, uh, uh, Jeremy I almost call him Jeremy Farrell, Uh, Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell do. And, and, you know, to block a lot, go catch passes a couple times, be able to be versatile and line up in different areas. And it's it's not exactly a super complex um, part of their offense. I know it's very integral to what they do, but. You're not going to be going, wow, Joe Royer, 60 catches this year. That's crazy. Like you, I think we sort of imagine what Joe Royer is going to be at Ohio State, and that's you know a solid in-line blocking tight end who goes out and catches passes sometimes. That's kind of what they, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what they want their tight that's ends. really exactly what they want. Defensive
0: line, Ohio State signed three defensive linemen this year, Darian Henry Young, Jacoby Cowan, and Ty Hamilton, and really quite a few similarities between these guys in bit they're all kind of versatile outside-inside guys who I think they all want to be defensive ends. I don't think they're all going to be defensive ends because yes. if you look at the numbers right now, if you put them all at defensive end in terms of scholarship players, right now Ohio State would project to have 10 scholarship defensive ends and six scholarship defensive tackles for the upcoming season. So,
1: And only two underclassmen defensive tackles, which, by the way, Hint, uh, it's a point that I've made just sort of to you off the air a little bit. They're they're lacking a little bit at the uh, among the underclassmen defensive tackles, which is why, like you've said, uh, as much as all, I think all three of these guys might want to end up at defensive end. It's hard to imagine all of them actually being being defensive ends throughout their entire careers.
0: Yeah, I think I think at least one of them is going to have to move inside, and I think I think people might look at their rankings and just look at their names and they might think ty hamilton would be the obvious candidate because his older brother devon hamilton was of course a nose tackle but i actually think he might be the least likely because i think darian and Jacoby are both bigger guys i think they're at this point they're more physically developed guys i think i think ty's a different player than his brother i think he's leaner and more athletic so i i kind of see him being more of a you know, Jonathan Cooper type, uh, defensive end type player. You know, I, I think Henry Young's probably the biggest of the guys, and, and he's probably the guy that I would would tab as most likely to end up a defensive tackle. I also think he's probably the one who's most adamant about playing defensive end. So it's going to be interesting to see how that worked. Ultimately, I'm, I'm sure Larry Johnson has had conversations with all these guys, explaining to them, you know, that there's you know a possibility they're going to have to play inside. I I think they've probably all been promised a chance to pull to 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 show what they can do outside, but ultimately, you know, Ohio State's going to have to move guys around, and you know, you could see, you know, one of these guys could end up being, you know, like a Jay Sean Cornell who who moves back and forth at different points over the course of his career, depending on where they have needs. But the good thing about them is they are all versatile. They all give you some some different elements none of these guys are chase young or, or nick bosa or zach harrison or jack sawyer who they have committed for class 20 to 21 at defensive end none of these guys are that elite elite pass rusher who you necessarily project as that future first round pick but i think these guys you know they could be taekwon lewis they could be draymond jones if they move inside
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think those are all apt comparisons like that's what they can be um It's hard to know, like you said specifically, what they will be. I remember when I went and talked to Darion at the Princeton signing ceremony in, in December. Very adamant that he is a defensive end. He's played defensive end his whole life and he plans to. And, and he told me that he had had a conversation with Larry Johnson back when he was up at 275 pounds about, you know, if you lose the weight, uh you, you're a defensive end. If if you don't, then you're going to be a defensive tackle. He lost the weight. He told me he was down 255. And then Ohio State released the press release announcing the class. It said he was at 279. So I have no idea what to believe. I think, ultimately, I think, most,
0: I, I think most of it. Weights listed on Ohio State's roster, just what they were on their 24 7 pages. Yeah,
1: no. Probably accurate. What I will say, I think that Larry Johnson will probably give him a chance to um, play defensive end, and who knows how long that'll last. I don't anticipate that the, these three guys are going to be needed immediately, which means that, you know, they can test him out for an extended period of time. But like you said i think darion's probably the most likely guy to end up at defensive tackle just because it seems like he can put the weight on um in the way that they want him to and, and he's a taller bigger guy like i think it could fit him i like i think he could be the draymond jones type guy um that, that they want at three technique
0: and henry young and Callen are both early enrollees so they'll have the opportunity to go through spring practices, which will kind of give them an opportunity to experiment with those guys. Mm-hmm. And, and probably, I would imagine going into the summer, they would want to have a more solidified position for them.
1: Yeah, and if we're looking for the next Chase Young, like, I think you're going to get that next year.
0: Yeah, Jack Sawyer, number two overall prospect right now for a class of 20, 21. He certainly has that kind of potential. You don't necessarily need to get that kind of guy every year. I think these three are all guys who have the potential, though, to be good, solid, rotational players in a defensive line that we know likes to rotate a lot.
1: All right, moving to linebacker. We have counted three of them uh, Cody Simon, Mitchell Melton, Court Williams. Who knows? There's a world in which only one of these guys end up playing linebacker. I don't exactly know a position Court Williams is going to play. I'm not sure a position Ohio State will have on its defense because I uh, we – Because the bullet existed and also didn't exist. Uh, Brendan White thought he played the bullet and then realized he was playing a fake position. Pete Warner actually is the bullet. Ryan Day says he wants to go with one safety next year, but I'm not sure if this roster currently constructed um, you can do that or if you have to play more multiple safety looks. I don't know. There's a lot of mystery around this uh, Court Williams situation, what he's going to play. But the other two guys, I think, are going to start out at at linebacker in positions that we have an idea of what they're going to be.
0: Yeah, they're all – they're all a little different. All three of these guys. Mm-hmm. Cody Simon, he's more of a true traditional linebacker, whether that's at uh, weak side linebacker, middle linebacker. He'll he'll play one of those inside linebacker spots. Uh, he's actually the highest ranked guy who's not enrolled early, but a guy who I think uh, has a lot of upside. They don't, need, they don't need a freshman linebacker to come in and play this year. They are super have, deep at linebacker. They have so much depth at linebacker that I I, I think it's going to be hard for any of these guys to really get on the field on defense this year. But certainly a Cody Simons, the kind of guy. Uh, same with Court Williams. I think those are definitely guys that, at least on special teams, they, they'll have a chance to to push for playing time as true freshmen. Mitchell Melton, he's the lowest ranked of the free. He's a guy that you look at his size – uh, listed at 6'3", 235. He's a guy who could maybe be like a Kate Stover and, and maybe end up making that move to defensive end depending on w- what they see in him. What what do you think is going to happen with that?
1: Well, he's, he's interesting too because... He was a lower-rated three-star recruit. And then 247's final update, they shot him way into the sky, and now he's right around 300, Um, which tells you, I think, a lot about um, what Ohio State thinks they found in uh, Mitchell Milton in that, you know, Maybe he was a little bit unrecruited, under recruited. They went the Maryland area, and, and obviously Larry Johnson. Uh, I think Ohio State has a lot of ties in the Maryland area over the They've past. They've done pretty year. well. In the They've Rally. done pretty freaking well. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of this guy named Chase Young or Dwayne Haskins, but um, they they had okay careers in Columbus. Um, but I think I think he's he's an interesting guy. I'm not exactly. I'm just not sure exactly where his career is going to end up. I mean, we just saw Kate Stover go from linebacker to defensive end. Who knows? Could be in the cards for Mitchell, Mel- Mitchell Melton. I'm not going to be able to announce his name, apparently. So we're going to need him to give me a few years to get that under uh, under control. But I think it'll, it'll start out um, at, at the second level of the defense.
0: Court Williams, it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up in this defense. Because yes. like you talked about, I think when he committed to Ohio State, the idea was he's going to be the next Brendan White. However, at that time, we didn't realize that Brendan White was going to play so little this past season that he was going to end up transferring to Rutgers. So the question is whether that quote-unquote bullet role that they still seem to be recruiting for.
1: He's, I, I'm pretty sure he's told reporters that he's going to play the bullet. He has. He has. He's to, he he's, he's said that
0: that's what he's been recruited for, but he, he he's said that he believes he can play iver safety or linebacker. He was listed as a safety by Ohio State when uh, they announced their signees in December. At the same time, and, and, we'll, and we'll talk about this in a moment as well, that Ohio State, right now, they're playing a defense that's only putting one safety on the field on most plays. And Ryan Day has insisted that that's the identity they want to have. I don't know that either Colin or I fully believe some of that. And we think maybe there'll be some changes to come, you know, to I, I think just like on offense, I think you've got to work to what fits your personnel. And I think, you know, especially now that you're not going to have Jeff Fokuda and Damon Arnett and Sean Wade at corner, that maybe it, there will be times where it makes more sense to have two safeties on the field instead of one. And if that happens, then court then you know maybe court williams is more of a safety even a linebacker but it, it's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out on the future Whether right now pete werner is is playing the bullet the if bullet we're, we're and really sam linebacker way. and it was all one role in 2019 but maybe in 2021 when Pete Werner is gone maybe they want two
1: players playing that position that, that that's my theory i mean that's that's the way that I see it is, you can't bring in two safeties in every class and then just have them play a single deep safety look. Like, like I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what this defense is going to look like. What I am sure is that they want whoever the Sam linebacker is, whether they call it the bullet or not, they want them to be athletic enough that they can roll back and play the single deep safety if they need to, if they need to, which is. Uh, a really difficult thing for someone to do who's only a linebacker, which is probably why they listed Court Williams as safety, because like you said, I think in general, what they would have loved is maybe for a, a Pete Warner type, a guy who has a linebacker background to play on early downs or run downs, and then you bring in this guy who's the bullet, who maybe plays on passing downs more so and is maybe more safety than linebacker. and. I'm not sure they necessarily had that. I think Pete Warner was just really good in coverage, and, and maybe was, they thought that he was better than in coverage than Brendan White, and that's why he basically became the bullet. Maybe the bullet exists, and they just didn't have it last year. I don't know. I'm going searching for the bullet this offseason, though. Yeah, but one thing I would say is
0: I, you know, I think probably the biggest critique, if there was any critique that fans had of Ohio State's defense and its coaches in, in this past season was – why they couldn't find a role for brendan white and we don't know everything that happens behind the scenes i i I think you know there was an idea that brendan white would have a bigger role and that that just didn't quite work out the way that they expected it to but i will say someone like court williams who i think has a ton of ability coming in just don't waste him find find a role for him find a trajectory that's going to put him in position that if he develops the way he has the ability to that he's going to get on the field don't Mm -hmm. don't try to pigeonhole guys into some position that's not actually going to play and i and don't get me wrong i'm not saying i think ohio state's going to do that i think these coaches are are smart and i think they're going to learn from what happened with brendan white and i think that'll probably guide some of the way they develop players in the future it's just going to be interesting to see exactly how that pans out
1: over the next few years. So, moving to cornerback, um, yeah, they they, they're bringing in two guys: Legend Cavazos with one of the all-time great names, by an Ohio State recruit, and, and Ryan Watts. Could have been three guys. Could have been Clark Phillips, but instead, like you said earlier in the show, he decommitted, flipped to Utah, and, and they and they've got this duo. Initial thoughts, you know, obviously they want they they, they would have loved to have Clark Phillips. He was a top fifty recruit. That would have been huge for this group. How do you how do you think they how do you think they did? Ended up with these two.
0: I think they did solid. I think both of these guys are are talented players who I think you know have the physical ability. They're not the highest ranked guys, but you know
1: we've said that for a few years know, about the cornerbacks they brought yeah, in, I mean, haven't we?
0: Cavazos uh, is one of those guys who I kind of always felt like has been a little bit underranked in this class. It, for someone who's clearly been a priority for Ohio State for several years, it's clear that he's a guy that they think quite highly of and that they prioritize. Because even when he decommitted when when Urban Meyer retired, he still was a top priority for him and they wanted to make sure they got him back in the class. So I think he's definitely a guy who, even though he's only ranked 351st or whatever he is now, that he has a lot of potential. I think same thing with Watts. A uh, big-bodied guy, a uh, physical guy who I, I think has a lot of upside. I think certainly losing a guy like Clark Phillips, who's a top 100 recruit, hurts. And especially with the talent that's walking out the door this year with Okuda and Arnett. And and knowing that they do like having free cornerbacks in the field a lot, I think getting one more top cornerback would have been beneficial for them. I think the reality is, that when Phillips flipped during the early signing period, there wasn't anybody else left that was really worth recruiting at that point. And I think they felt that it didn't make sense to chase some lower ranked corner just to add another corner to the class. So they stuck with uh, the two that they have. Uh, it'll It'll increase the onus on them going into 2021 to land another top corner. But I think both of these guys are are good, solid prospects who so I think have definitely have the potential to be future starters for Ohio State, and and now it's up to Kerry Combs to to work his magic and and start developing these guys.
1: Yeah, to to once again, like I said, I, I like to separate the player from sort of the situation because I think they're largely different. So the players. Um, I think legend is interesting because he's just he's he's super athletic, super fast. I think that's really the part of his game that stands out. And really Ryan Watts is, is in a lot of ways the opposite. I think he's he doesn't really have that elite speed, but he's he's 6'2" or taller. He's pretty built and like they're just different in that way, and I think that it's interesting to bring them in in the same class. And Kerry Combs has had success with both of those kind of guys back, back um, when he was coaching Ohio State before. I think there's reason to, to believe that um, he can have success with them again. The one thing I'll say is, like, listen, I like them both. I think they're both good prospects. But we can all be realistic here. Like, we can, we can look at what we said back when we were talking about the offensive line and the wide receivers and say, like, man, Julian Fleming seems like a sure thing. Like, Paris Johnson seems like a sure thing. You know what else felt like sure things? Like, Sean Wade and Jeff Okuda and those kind of guys felt like sure things. Not a lot of sure things on this roster right now. Not a lot of sure things they're bringing in. Um, They got a lot of guys who are ranked sort of outside the top 200, outside the top 150. And it's not to say you can't win with that because Ohio State has shown time and time and time again that you can win with that. But it's also really important to have that top-end talent. And they don't necessarily have that at the position right now. And I like, the thing is, I like a lot of the guys they have. But I'm not looking at a guy and I'm thinking, well, that guy's obviously a future first-round pick. I'm looking at a lot of guys and saying, if things go the, the right way, I can see how that guy can turn out to be that way. But when you're at Ohio State, you want to be in a position where you're saying, that guy is a first-round pick in, in, in two or three years. And I think that's maybe what they don't have right now. It'd be really beneficial if
0: Kerry Combs sticks around for a while so that these guys don't have to keep getting a new position coach every
1: year. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that would. That would. And I think he it's, will. <laughs> it's un- it's been on un- yeah, so do I. It's been unfair to them. I think it's um, Hurt their recruiting in certain areas where it's like, how are you going to get a top fifteen overall recruit without that? And I, I think under- if
0: Jeff Halfley had stayed, I think Clark Phillips would be a Buckeye. Right I now. do
1: too. Yeah, exactly. I think that just plays a huge role, and I think the turnover at the position. And that's does. nothing
0: against Combs. It was just a tough situation they were in.
1: Yeah, it was bad timing. It was that Kerry Combs coaching NFL team when they needed to be contacting Clark Phillips. Correct. Um, so I'm not. I, I don't think that's necessarily a huge long-term issue provided Kerry Combs stays because shoot what am I going to do say Kerry Combs can't recruit the man the man has proven that he can recruit I fully believe that that he will bring in top level corners and this is this is a room that really needs him in my opinion
0: safeties we talked about a little bit with Court Williams they've got two two guys who they are definitely expecting to play safety one of those being Lathan and Ramph, and I think he's the guy who's a for sure safety in this class, you know, I think Ryan Day said something along the lines on the early signing day that you know he's going to be the next great safety at Ohio State. So I think he's a guy they see playing that Jordan Fuller role, a guy they see patrolling the back end of the defense, and and really has the potential to be a fantastic player at that position. Martinez, the, the only February signee for Ohio State, he's a more interesting guy because he's a guy who he, he played quarterback in high school. He had a nine-minute long highlight film this past year of only touchdowns from his senior season so this is a guy who hypothetically could could play on offense as well a guy with a lot of versatility he's gonna start out at at safety it sounds like and and i think that's where they believe he has the most long-term potential but i think there's also some potential here where you know maybe he gets moved around at 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 times it's not a plan for him But I think it's going to be interesting to see as this defense evolves and whether it truly is a single high-safety defense or whether they start to work in more two-safety looks, is a guy like Cam Martinez – going to potentially offer more value t- to them elsewhere than he might at safety
1: yeah it's it's a good question because i'm not sure like i said earlier i don't think you can bring in two safeties every year if you're gonna play a one single deep safety defense Correct. i just i don't understand how that's a, a feasible thing but i don't think they're necessarily doing that here because i think they're bringing cam martinez in, thinking you know he'll probably play safety but dude could play anywhere he, he has played anywhere for his high school team He could play anywhere for ohio state i think if wide receiver was a bigger need maybe he'd be over there but right now when you're bringing in four top 100 overall receivers you don't exactly have to shift a guy there right now
0: yeah and i think they're looking at him you know maybe he can be a returner certainly a guy who can make an impact on special teams so i think they're very confident that one way or another the 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 physical skill set that cam martinez brings to ohio state he's going to be able to make a contribution to his team and I don't. They don't have to be married right now to playing him at one specific spot. Yeah,
1: and they have certainly not treated him like he is either a low end four star or high end three star. Like they have treated him like he is. Like they believe in him as much as they do with anybody else. He was legitimately the only guy
0: that they were really pushing for over the last few weeks to round out this 2020 class. So keeping him in the fold was a huge priority, and really Kerry Colm's his first big win on the recruiting trail
1: so we've got to the, the the main guy in this class Jake
0: Jake Seibert exactly. or Siebert
1: yeah yeah oh shoot I was hoping you'd know it because I, I we might just have to call him Jake I'm not 100% sure which of which is correct Seibert or Siebert either way kicker <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish that you would just end right there
0: either way no you know, what I was going to say is I think he's guy. He's 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 gray-shirting this year which means he won't be on scholarship this year will be in 2021 that's a fairly common practice for a specialist coming in at ohio state but certainly if all goes according to plan this year he will not play at all they'll he'll just he'll just develop this year and the goal will be to groom him for 2021 to replace blake Cabiel who is of course going into his senior season
1: that is the plan. I cannot say I know much about his kicking game. He is really high ranked. He's ranked as the number two kicker in That's the country. That, so. that I do know. He's
0: very good. I know he's made, I believe, multiple 50-plus yard field goals in his high school career. He was actually, was actually a good wide receiver in high school as well. Now, he does not have the size to play anywhere but kicker in college. But
1: You're telling the teams in 2023 to watch out because Ohio State's throwing to Jake. <laughs>
0: Hey, you never know. I mean, we saw, we saw Drew Chrisman throw a pass yeah. this past year, so you never know what kind of trick play they might have up their sleeve. He, he is a good athlete. He is a good athlete in that regard um, and certainly a very highly ranked kicker, someone who, uh, much like a few years ago when, when Javier came in and, and he was the backup. Well, he, he actually kicked off, too, as a freshman uh, with Sean Nuremberger, but I think most likely the plan here would be to, to, to redshirt him and then have him for, you know, the next four years, 2021 on, as the starting kicker. Exactly. So that's our class. We, we talked is. about the, the full 25-man class. Overall, ranked fifth in the nation. Eight players ranked in the top 107, but also eight free stars. Overall, though, I think this is a class to feel really good about. We talked about it. Probably would have liked to see a, a top flight running back in this class. Maybe could have used another corner, but I think otherwise, I think this recruiting class pretty much went according to plan. And for what's truly Ryan Day's first full recruiting class, I think he has reason to feel really good about it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good class. I would say the two problems with the class are that... They didn't get a, an elite running back, and they didn't get an elite cornerback. And the re, the reasons why they're, they they are the problems that really stand out is because shoot, this they could have really used one on this current roster. You're losing J.K. Dobbins and Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that is tough, and like that stands out. I under like there's a lot of top line talent. There's a lot of reasons to feel good. But at Ohio State, you also have to look at the at the areas that you know maybe you're not getting the top guys, and and, and that to me like those two stand out. Like they, man, they could have used a five star there. They could have used a top one hundred kid there. And it
0: all goes back to what you said earlier when we were talking about the running backs. Is is this class good enough for Ohio State to remain the power in the Big Ten? No question about it. No, this qu- class is yes. by far the best among Big Ten schools, and it's not close. Is this class good enough for Ohio State to beat Clemson and Alabama? Time will tell.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that's where you have to sort of take it individually and like is the is the passing game good enough? Yes. Is the running back good enough? I don't know. Is the is the defensive line, linebacker's good enough? You know, I think I think they're I think they're 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 right on that level. I think they're right on that edge. Is the cornerback's good enough? I don't know. And that's why Eventually, we'll, we'll soon turn our focus to 2021. We can talk about the areas that, that, that they've either hit on pretty well or the areas that we think that are going to need to be big priorities for them. And Ohio State already has 10 commits for
0: 2021, yeah. currently ranked as the number one class for 2021. And they're we going, don't have time to get into that no, today. They're going, but
1: at, they're going after some heavy hitters, and that one is still to come.
0: Yeah, that class looks like it's going to be really, really yeah. good. So they're off to a great start there. I was going to ask you, Who's the player you're most confident will make a big impact at Ohio State? But I already know your answer.
1: Harris Johnson? Yeah,
0: yeah. I already I already knew your answer. I'm so I'm
1: not exactly sure how I could go with anybody else even though it, you should probably never pick an offensive lineman when you're answering that question. But I don't know. When yeah, you, I think I'm right there with you on that one. He just – When he you just, see him, it's like this guy's a freak. And when you talk to him, it's like this guy's super smart. This guy's a 4.0 student. Like this guy understands it. He's been in the system. He's been getting trained by pros for years now. Like I'm not sure how Ohio State could mess this one up. So, Ben, what I, here's what I will ask you. I want you to pick one sleeper prospect. I won't
0: put a set criteria on it. But just who's, who's one sleeper prospect in this class? Who you think is ultimately going to make a big impact at Ohio State?
1: Do you have a guy in mind um, to, that, that you want to answer that question with? I'll go, I'll go. I'll go. with Legend Cavazos because I think, like I said, I think his that, name's Legend. Legend. I'm not sleeping on. I mean, Legions. that's that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he is ranked outside of the top 300, but his name is Legend. There are going to be some great <laughs> headlines to write
0: about Legend if he he becomes a player. I think he's capable of being. But you know, like I said, he he wasn't ranked that highly, but he, he's a guy. He put up really good numbers at camps, you know, really fast forty, agile guy. I think he's got all the physical tools, you know. Maybe he needs to get a little bit bigger and stronger, but I think he's a guy who's got a, a ton of ability. And I think you bring him in, you develop him with Kerry Combs. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that, you know, in in two or three years, who is a starting cornerback at Ohio State, and that it looks like a real steal uh, for what he was ranked.
1: I'll go with uh, Jacob James. Just because it just—he's the second lowest ranked um, non-special teamer. He just gets lost in the shuffle, and among those offensive linemen, he just seems like the safe kind of guy. He seems like a guy who. I've just never really heard anything bad about there's not a ton of concerns about him. I think he's someone who needs to build up his body more, but I think by the time he gets to Ohio State, I think he'll I think he'll be stronger, I think he'll be more powerful, I think he'll be bigger. Like I, I, I sort of like his potential as, as a sleeper in this class.
0: We have only a, a few minutes remaining, but we do have a few questions that you guys asked that were not not particularly related to the recruiting class of twenty twenty, which is fine. But uh, we do wanna answer them. The first question from Chipperson1 is that I'm gonna be honest, I do not have an answer to. And that was, what did you think of The Rise of Skywalker, the new Star Wars movie? Have you seen it, Colin?
1: My dad would be disappointed because I haven't seen it. And so would my brother. But no, I haven't seen it. And now I have also disappointed Chipperson1, and now I must go see it. We are both disappointments. I
0: mean, I, I mean, I hear all the time I get asked, have you seen this movie? And I say no, and people indignantly respond that, how have you not seen that movie? And that's the case of about 99% of movies out there because I'm just not a big movie watcher. I'm spending time watching all of these recruits for you guys. Oh, no. there you go. I, don't, I don't have time to watch Star Wars movies. Well,
1: I have time because I've seen all of the other ones outside of this one, and now I actually... When I looked this up real quick, I couldn't believe that this has already been out for two months and I still haven't seen it. That one's on me. Hand up.
0: Well, if Colin goes to see it, we'll make sure to get his review All for you, on, one. on this show because we got a lot of off-season still left to go. Seattle Linga asks, what do you what do you think the defensive line starting lineup will look like for the fall of 2020?
1: I bet we'll probably agree across the board. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. I think we'll agree at defensive tackle. Um, mine will be Tommy Togiai and, and uh, Teron Vincent. Definitely Togi.
0: The free tech one, I'm not sure because I think Vincent's got the most upside of the group, but he also didn't play at all last year. So I think that
1: could either be Vincent or Haskell Garrett. Um, who are you going with? I'm going to hold you to this because this is February 2nd and so or whatever it is, February
0: 3rd. I'm gonna go with Vincent because I think he has more upside. We haven't really seen a ton out of Haskell Garrett yet at this point. So he's a guy that you know, maybe he makes that Devon Hamilton kind of leap as a senior, but because of time recruit because we just haven't really seen a ton out of him yet, I'm gonna go with Teron Vincent because I think he is the higher upside. Uh, but I think I think that 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 position, I think Togi is really the guy who I see as the breakout star. I think he's a guy who has the potential to be an excellent nose tackle. And and Antoine Jackson's going to be an important guy this year, too. We saw him move back and forth between the two spots last year, but with the lack of depth they have at defensive tackle and losing both Hamilton and Landers, I think Jackson's probably going to be that number two defensive tackle and is probably going to see quite a bit of playing time. Yeah, here's
1: the thing with this is actually those two positions, I bet the starters and backups almost play equal 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 snaps yes
0: yeah I would I would bet on togi yeah, I playing the most snaps at nose tackle but I think Vincent and Garrett those are guys who will probably play pretty much the same amount yeah, of yeah
1: and and probably gonna be we're gonna say similar things at defensive end um, I think this one's a little bit more interesting uh, I would personally be shocked if Jonathan Cooper doesn't start because he just has that seniority he's gonna be a second time captain and though he I think is maxed out right now at two and a half sacks in a season I still think that they like him and there's a reason why it's funny looking back on it but uh two seasons ago he started over chase young
0: yeah i i I think coop is definitely going to start i'd be really surprised if he didn't i i think the other side is interesting because i think tyreek smith's probably the obvious choice is the guy who should step into that starting role but i'm gonna pick zach harrison i think i think zach harrison really impressed his coaches as a freshman and i think he's a guy who you know could be on that chase young nick bosa kind of trajectory uh five-star recruit he's a guy who's probably a free year guy who wants to be a future first round nfl draft pick and i mean he, he he started in a fiesta bowl over those guys so i'm gonna say zach harrison again with the idea that i think zach harrison and tyreek smith will probably play about the same number of snaps I also think Tyler Friday will play uh, a lot in that rotation as well.
1: I wish we disagreed more. Yeah, I'm going to pick <laughs> Zach Harrison. I'm I'm going to pick him, uh, and I'm sure everybody's been on the edge of their seats to hear this. I think he's going to play the most of any defensive end this year. I just think he's going to have a breakout season. There's a reason why he play. He started in the Fiesta Bowl, and Larry Johnson tries not to play freshman in big moments like this. Dude's special.
0: He's got a ton of upside, and with Chase Young gone now, they. We're looking for that next star pass rusher to step up, and he's the guy you just got to look at because of how physically gifted is. Silver Sniper asked us, call your shot right here and now. Does Ohio State basketball make the NCAA tournament, the NIT, or nothing at all? They're going to make the tournament. They're I, making the I, tournament. I, I know, I know, like. I, unless I, they win, like, one or two more games rest of the way, I think they're going to make the tournament.
1: They're going to make the tournament. Unless they lose to Nebraska and beat, like, three other teams, they're making the tournament. They're, they're just barely outside of the top 25 right now. They have a really strong resume based a lot on what they did in the non conference. The Big Ten is so, 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 so deep they just have a lot of opportunities for for good wins the rest of the season the indiana win was big because it was a game that they should win and they also didn't have dj carton though and they had played so terribly that it was like shoot are they gonna win and they did win and they looked pretty solid i thought they looked as good on the court as i had seen them since the since that they were good (laughs) which was in december which feels like so 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 long ago um and yeah they're making the tournament i'd be i would be very surprised that they didn't. Yeah, we'll, we'll both call our shots. Did you imagine, like, they'd have to go winless to go with nothing at all. Yeah, that, that <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, I'd be, that does not, that, uh, that possibility does not exist.
0: Gin and Juice asked, which player's growth and development is more integral to Ohio State taking the so-called next step in winning the college ball playoff? Nicholas petit Frere or Zach Harrison?
1: Easy for me. I want to see do you have the same answer as me? First of all,
0: another really good question from our most loyal question asker. I love Gin, This is a really good question, and I'm going to go with Zach Harrison because I think— God, can we debate one of these days? No, I'm, I, 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 the way you set me up, I had a feeling we were going to agree. but And I say that because I think DeWan Jones and Paris Johnson are valid candidates to compete for that starting right tackle job if Petit Frere— Doesn't come along as expected. And that said, I'm not predicting that Petit Frere won't develop well. I think Petit Frere will be the starting right tackle, and I think he's going to be really good now that he has two years of experience and and time to build up under his belt. But I think they've got options there. I think at defensive end, losing Chase Young, a guy who was so, so, so pivotal to their success on defense last year, if Zach Harrison doesn't step up the way we expect him to, I don't know if they're going to have that elite pass richard because as much as i think tyreek smith has potential he's now two years in and we just really haven't seen a ton from him so i think zach harrison is that guy they need to step up and be that next chase young and so yeah i'm gonna go with zach harrison
1: yeah i think you nailed it um i had basically the exact same reasoning in my head which was you know if nick doesn't win it i think there's there's two things that play potentially, and one is maybe he didn't develop the way they want to. The other possibility is you know Dewan Jones is an absolute physical freak, and, or Paris Johnson is really good right away. And you know any of those scenarios, you're gonna be okay. I also think the the rest of the offensive line is just really good. And you if you maybe have a weaker spot at right tackle, I think you're gonna be okay. And if that weak spot is six foot eight, three hundred sixty pounds, or a freshman who's a top ten recruit, you're gonna be okay. I just think so. On the other side of the ball, you don't have a Chase Young right now, and to be honest, you don't really have anything close to a Chase Young, and if Zach Harrison can reach the level where at least you can use the words Zach Harrison and Chase Young in the same sentence, and and to me that's like a double-digit sack year where, I don't know, has 12 sacks or something, I think that's totally in play. and. I'm gonna project it to happen. I, I actually, I'm gonna be a little bit more bullish, I think, on Jonathan Cooper than most people because I think there's a lot of people who thinks this guy is who, who he is. I'm gonna go the opposite way, which was probably not what I did last year. Um, but I think Zach Harrison has a chance to be a star. And if he is, then all of a sudden, like you have your elite pass rusher that you can build the rest of, of the defensive line around. I think that's such a huge
0: part of whether this defense can maintain the same level of play, where they drop off, because because we think back to two years ago when they lost Nick Bosa, who was supposed to be their star defensive end, and that defense just never recovered from that. I, I think having that elite pass rusher does so much to just help everyone else on the, out on the defense, and I think Zach Harrison, we both agree, is the guy who has the most potential to do that. Yep. Final question, and I probably should have like looked at this one before because I don't know that I have an answer for it. If you were a professional wrestler, what would your finishing maneuver be, and why? I'm I, I don't I don't watch Star Wars. I don't watch WWE, so
1: <laughs> you don't you've never watched WWE. I've
0: watched life. it, but I don't know like what any of the finishing moves. Well, I know the RKO
1: and the Stone Cold Stunner, and I'm just gonna do the Dewan Jones, which is I'm just gonna <laughs> go run at a guy and just like wrap him up and just run him through <laughs> the um. Uh, the the ropes and and onto the ground behind the ropes. That's going to be my move.
0: Yeah, I I have no idea to be completely honest.
1: And then instead of tapping them out, I'm going to have them. I think you start the ten count once they're outside of the ring. I'm just going to win. My finishing move is going to end with them outside of the ring, getting the ten count.
0: Splendid on that. Unless I can come I up so. with something, because I. I I'm, it's all right. I'm stumped here, and we're we're running out of time. We're I, feel, to get,
1: I, I feel bad that I didn't look at that before, but I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I have Dewan Jones I can always look to.
0: Dewan Jones. Is a,
1: or maybe I just call that the Big Thanos.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that would be Big Thanos or Triple D or or uh, Big Greasy or whatever his other nicknames are. Uh, I don't know. Really he's got some good ones. I'll
1: learn them all if he starts. How about that?
0: Thanks again for listening in to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Hope you enjoyed our breakdown of the class of 2020. Uh, going into next week, things are getting more wide open on our schedule. So, uh, anything you guys want us to talk about? Uh, we'll probably talk a little more about high State basketball next week, and uh, you know some other topics. We'll get back into our uh, our depth chart breakdowns as well uh, for football. So. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about or any questions you guys have, uh, let us know, and you know, we'll, we'll be happy to talk about them on the show going forward. So thanks for listening in. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed uh, the breakdown of the class of 2020.